This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So, yeah, we're in a series called uh, Formed, and we're looking at five different ways over uh, a period of time how we're formed. We're formed by the things our our hearts love. We're formed by the stories we believe. We're formed by the communities, uh, the people around us. Wasn't it great to have a small group this week? I know some of them were pretty massive, but uh, hey, it's good to get started. Uh, Formed by the uh, practices of our lives. I know Tom spoke really brilliantly last week about uh, kind of how you use your phone. Uh, people have been complaining that I haven't been answering my phone, so I feel good about that. Uh, but I also feel bad about it, so hey, I hope you've done something about your phone. Uh, I want to speak today on the first of, of two Christopher's on, on next week about experiences. About experiences. Uh, this is a huge topic, eh? This is a huge topic, and you know, time's already ticking, and, and I know that you will like think I'm a long preacher, but I really want to try and do justice to this topic um, because there'll be people in here who are having hard times. There'll be people in here who've, who's this, who've weeks have been so crushing, who this, this year or so have been just so difficult, have been through uh, trials, been through challenges, been through sicknesses, been through unemployment, been through divorce, been through just family bereavement. You know, and, I, and I, I, this is a huge topic. But what is amazing is the Bible doesn't ever duck this. Our society likes to push this into a corner. With the Bible, this is there in letter after letter, moment after moment, story after story. So I could have jumped in at a low, whole load of uh, passages, but I'm going to jump in at perhaps one you might have heard before, James uh, chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few verses, and then we'll pray, and we'll, hopefully God will speak to us. So James, he's the brother of Jesus. And he led the church in Jerusalem, uh, and he says this, I mean his words, his first words are like, blow your head. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be perfected and whole, not lacking anything. And then jumping a few verses down. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'd help us to kind of shine a light, let your gospel shine a light onto our hearts. And Lord, wherever we are in, in the moments of this broken world, I pray, Lord, that this would do us good. I pray, Lord, as we take bread and wine afterwards, that we'd know how much you gave, how much you suffered, because this world is broken, but how much you deeply, deeply love us. So God, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. I mean, are you serious, James? You know, what is your problem? 
You know, are you kind of some sort of masochist who said, hey, isn't it great? My life's a mess. Isn't it great? Things are broken. Isn't it great? Things are really, you know, things are happening to me and I'm really struggling. Isn't it brilliant? Uh, you know, you, if you went down onto Cheltenham Promenade and you had this one-question survey and you said, what do you consider pure joy? You would have to wait a long, long, long time before somebody says, hey, I love it when life's bad. You wouldn't find anybody. I, 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 don't, I don't know about that. Uh, you know, suffering, anguish, disappointments, pain, that's not on my list of what I consider pure joy. And the thing is, in the contemporary West, we think joy is anything but these things. Anything but these things. We think it's about happiness and comfort. We think it's about enjoying ourselves. It's about having a grand designs house. We enjoy good food and drink. Uh, you know, we, uh, it, it, life's about, you know... You, if you have sex, you'll be fulfilled. If you've got a lovely family, if you have that dream holiday, if you have a great life, that's pure joy, isn't it? You know, Tim Keller in that book that I just mentioned says, the problem is, and he wrote in New York, so, you know, very similar, perhaps even more so than Cheltenham, the problem is that contemporary people think life is all about finding happiness. Uh, we decide what conditions will make us happy, and then we work to bring those conditions about. To live for happiness means you're trying to get something out of life, but when suffering comes along, it takes the conditions for happiness away, and so suffering destroys all your reasons for living. You know, we live in a, a, a suicide world. Yeah. When things happen, when hard stuff happens, and despair breaks in, people think, I've got nothing to live for. All the things that I put my hope in, if they've gone, I've got nothing now. But the West, we, as I said, we like, become experts at isolating ourselves against pain and suffering. It's a natural inclination to avoid pain, isn't it? You know, nobody, nobody has, likes to put their hand on a hot pan and think, isn't that great? I love it. In fact, the people that do that, you know, if, if you, pain is this sense of, oh, isn't it good? It's God's it's God's way of showing us, no, that's not good, don't touch that. In fact, I was reading in, in Tim Keller's book about people that got, or the other book, about people that got leprosy and don't feel, they don't feel the pain in their hands and so, that's, so they put their hands into all these broken situations and that's why their kind of fingers and stuff drop off. It's not that the leprosy causes that, it's that they just don't have the ability to feel pain. So, so in one sense, pain's a good thing. It's not like, hey, we just, you know, pain is... It's this negative thing, but, but we're wired to avoid pain, aren't we? I mean, that is what I've just said, that, that you know, our, our nervous system's wired to avoid pain. But, but, but in the West, we've made that an art form now, in, in terms of we become experts, not just, at, you know, not making sure we put our hands in the fire, but we've become experts at removing life's discomforts. We're told if we make the right choices, we can live happy, comfortable, pain-free lives. And we, we just think, you know, if I'm really good, if I'm a sensible, wise, well-educated person, bad stuff's not going to happen to me. Bad stuff happens to those people who make bad choices, who eat the wrong things, who do the wrong things, who go to the wrong places. That, that's, bad stuff happens to them, but because we think that actually we've, been, we've got this idea that if we're careful, we're not going to have any pain. But the truth is, you will face pain, anguish, disappointment, suffering. You know, we're aware, if you look around, you look on the news, you know, in Ukraine, you look around and you're aware that the world is broken 
uh, that there's violence and oppression, there's disappointment, death, there's famine, disease, exploitation, injustice. But we kind of think that happens to other people, don't we? We kind of that happens to other people in other parts of the world that it doesn't happen to us. So in one sense, we're, incredible. we're not very resilient in the West because we've isolated ourselves and cotton-walled ourselves. And we think we sail on this ocean of comfort and happiness. And that pain, get the picture, pain is just a, a, an island that we sometimes are shipwrecked on. You know, the basic idea is that most of the world we live in is pain-free and happy and lovely. And, and occasionally we're shipwrecked on these islands of, of, of tragedy. The truth is, that's just not true. It's not true. Dane Ortland, in a book I didn't uh, reference, but a book called Deeper, uh, which is about how becoming disciples of Jesus is a really good book, he says this, pain is not the islands of our lives, but the ocean. Disappointment is the stage on which all life unfolds. It's not an occasional blip on an otherwise smooth life. You are going to be hit by storms in the broken world. You're going to hit by little things, little irritating things, little things that, that make the world broken, and you're going to be hit by those kind of massive things that change the world for you. My dad died when I was 17. It's shaped so much of me for good and negatively. James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The expectation is that you are going to face trials of many kinds. Peter, Jesus' disciple, who faced a few trials himself, says, Beloved, to under the church, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you as if, read it for me. Something strange to you. We think, whoa, bad stuff's happened. Something strange is happening. No, he's saying... That is what life is. And now you, what you've done, I know what you've done. You've thought, ah, I don't live in first century uh, church that's been persecuted. That, that suffering is what happens to other people. And you've done what we do because we think suffering happens to other people. But he's saying, don't be surprised, church, when bad stuff happens. When, when James is saying when you tr- meet trials of many kinds, he's, he's talking about the particular kind of trial that the, church, the early church faced called persecution. But he's actually saying, no, no, I want you to understand that they're trials of many kinds. Not just persecution, they're trials of many kinds. And you're going to experience some of those trials. You're going to ex- in some way experience suffering and difficulty. It's universal for every person and actually more so for every believer. It's not something strange that's going to happen to us. It's part of a disciple's life. Paul Tripp, who I'm reading his uh, devotions through in the morning, he says this, all of us will face difficulty of some kind. It could be those momentary difficulties that are just the irritants of life in a fallen world. Or it could be those huge life-transforming difficulties where you are on the other side, you say, my life will never be the same. And then he says this, all of us, somehow, some way, will face difficulties of life in this fallen world. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I bet if I said, put your hands up, if you've had that life is never going to be the same moment, We all have. 
We all have. Cancer diagnosis three years ago. Dad dying when I was young. We all have had those things where we think, life's going to be different now. And when, but the thing is, when pain washes into our lives, immediately and instinctively, we feel we're losing. We're losing. That our bank account of God's love and God's grace is being drawn down and we feel like suddenly we're losing. We're going backwards. We've got no category for pain and suffering apart from this is irredeemably bad. And I think that's true. You know, nobody wants a pastor coming up to them when you're in the middle of somebody when you when you when you when your mother's just died, nobody wants a pastor coming up to you and saying, Don't worry, God's in charge. You know, nobody wants a, your, nobody wants when you've lost your job to say, Hey, pull yourself together. Nobody wants you, nobody wants some clever philosopher to say, Hey, stuff happens. When your dreams don't come and work. Nobody wants that, do they? What do you want to do when those things happen? You've got to cry. It's okay to cry. Jesus cried. Jesus cried. When his friend died, there is a a theological debate going on between Martha and Mary about the death of Lazarus, but there's also tears. Paul writes, weep with those who weep. We don't want to be this kind of church that's so Bible secure that we know our stuff, that we're just giving people nice theological answers when really we just need to cry and say, this is awful. But because we're human, we will ask questions. The question why will not be far behind. The question why will not be far behind. And I think that we need to have answers before the waves of suffering break over us. Because often in the middle of it, the worst time to ask the question, why? When you're burying your friend, it's not the time to be asking why. You need to have done the work before. And I want to try and help us do a little bit of work before. You think, well, is that his intro? No, that's part of the sermon. Don't worry. That didn't, it felt like an intro. We're now going to go a little bit more stuff. And the thing is, Christians should have the answers to why. You should have the answers to why. But you might even be sitting here and thinking, I don't have the answer to why that happened. I don't. But the thing is, Christians, I've observed, sometimes can be the most unsettled The most unsettled when pain and suffering and trials wash over us. We're the most unsettled. I mean, nobody gets up in the morning does does and pray, Lord, if you love me, will you send me some suffering today? Did anyone pray that this morning? (laughs) Nobody does. But, But when we're in the middle of difficulty, we're tempted to think it's a sign of God's unfaithfulness and God's inattentive. This is why bad stuff's happening to me, because I'm bad or God's bad. The Bible never teaches you, if you stay close to Jesus, nothing bad's going to happen. Let me say that again. Is it up there? Read it out with me, actually, because it's really important. The Bible never teaches that if you stay close to Jesus, nothing bad will happen to you. 
That's the American dream, or the secular Western dream. That's not the Bible dream. It's not the Bible. The Bible says bad stuff's going to happen to you. I mean, Jesus was as close to the Father as anyone. Did bad stuff happen to him? Paul, the apostle, planting churches, gives that incredible list. Danger in the country, danger at sea, stoned, shipwrecked, hungry. You know, he said, we felt like we were going to die. He was close to, bad stuff happens to people close to Jesus. This, this book here is full of stories of people who are close to Jesus and bad stuff happens. So what, ha- what do we do then? What do we do then? So, so, so understanding, we, we kind of the logic of the world is stuff's happening, bad stuff's happening, this can't be right. So either there's no God or God is mad with me but he can't be with me because if he was, this wouldn't be happening. Dane Ortland describes it as like two circles. See if I put them up there. Describes it like two circles. Let's have the circles. Okay, two circles. This is not my idea, so if you don't like it, blame him. But he, he does lead a mega church, and I know how much that sways your opinion. <laughs> Certainly sways mine. Okay, so we've got this kind of two circles. We've got the blue circle, what we say we believe. In other words, what the Bible says. This is what I'm a Christian, I believe this. Yeah? We've got that circle. We've got that one that we think, yeah, I know that God's good. I know that he's in charge. I know that he loves me. I know, I, I know that he's, he's committed to blessing me, that he holds me close to his child. That, that circle, yeah? And then we've got this other circle, what our experiences are telling our hearts. My marriage is broken up. That must mean that God's not for me. I've got this disease that, that I can't cure and, and no one can cure, and that, that means God's abandoned me. That means God's not in charge, that he doesn't love me. And you've got these two circles. Dig the circles? You with it? Yeah. What happens is pain and suffering can either bring these circles together or force them apart. Can either bring them together or force them apart. So the, the, the truth is, I was thought, should they perfectly overlap? In, a, in an ideal Christian world, they should perfectly overlap. What we believe and our experience should perfectly overlap. But it kind of doesn't, does it? I kind of believe that God heals. You know, but sometimes people don't get healed. And I think, mm-hmm, you know, what's that? And I wrestle with it theologically. You know, and, you know, sometimes we expect to perfectly overlap, but they don't. But I would hope that if you're here and a follower of Jesus, there is some overlap between what the Bible says and your experience, right? Yes? But what happens is that... that, that, that Pain and suffering can force them apart. So, so the, when they're forced apart, you can go to the next slide now. When they're forced apart, your experience becomes really large and loud and your, what you believe about God becomes really small. So I put it like this. We can choose to take the way, sorry if this feels a bit judgy, cynicism, withdrawing from open-heartedness with God denying existence and denying his love. We can let our heart become hard. You can blame God. You can deny that God loves you. You can choose to believe that the Father doesn't carry you close to his heart, that he's far away and indifferent to your pain. Or even that he's the cause of the suffering. 
Now, if we choose that road, our faith wobbles. We doubt what we've really believed and we stand in the moment of pain and suffering and we believe what we've and think that what we've been de- believed has been disproved by what we've experienced. You follow that? Our experience becomes so large that we start to doubt the things about God. He doesn't care. He doesn't love me. He's, he's, he's not in charge. I've done something wrong. And our experience starts to dominate. And there are people after people after people who bad stuff has happened. And that's the road they've taken. And I don't judge them, I just feel sad. Because there's no way forward there. I think just say, I'm denying God and denying my faith. Because this stuff has happened. That's just a dark hole, there's no way forward with that. The circles will fall apart and we lose our faith and reject God. Or... And this is hard to do. That first one's easier to do. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier to do than this one. Or you can press into greater depth with God than you've ever known. Oh, I said a bit more. Uh, Let me read what I put here. You can let pain and suffering do something in your soul that causes your faith to so deepen in a way that, mind-blown, Gives you great joy. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be perfected and whole. Jesus, uh, Jesus, James tells his readers This little word, for you know. For you know. Why does he say for you know? Because they know. Because their life in the early church that James is writing to has been hard. It's been persecuted, they've been rejected. People lost their job, they lost honour. The reason why the early church was filled with women and slaves is because they had nothing to lose. But these people that James is writing to, they know that when trials and sufferings came, that actually it was okay. Not like there, there, never mind okay, but deep, deeply within, he knows that you can, there's this pure joy that you can know through trials. Boom. Through the experience of hard times, you can know something that you wouldn't know if you never lived through hard times. We want to have an easy life, don't we? But there's something that can happen in your soul if you go through hard times that will deepen you in a way that you'd never, ever know. Now, if you're standing right in the middle of a hard time, you think, oh, this is so easy for that guy to say, white, comfortable, middle class, straight. 
You've no idea. And you could think that. And I'm not trying to preach at you, even though I am preaching at you. I'm trying to say that actually in the darkest moment, it's not the worst. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces... I mean, James acknowledges faith gets tested, right? If it can be test, stress tested, that means it can break. The circles can be pushed apart and you can say, I'm done. But he says that he knows that the testing of your faith produces perseverance so that you may be perfected and whole. What does perseverance mean? Keep going. It literally means keep going. It means don't abandon your direction. Don't abandon your call. Don't abandon your purpose. James is saying, and Paul says it in Romans as well, perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Perseverance actually is saying, I'm keeping going. Even though the waves batter against me and it looks like I'm going to be shipwrecked and the boat's going to turn over. No, I still believe what I believe. I'm keeping going. I'm keeping going. And if you do that, and we'll get to how you do that in a minute, if you do that, then perseverance means that you become perfected and whole. He that began a good work in you to make you more like Jesus, he's committed to doing that. When? Until it's all over. Till the day of Jesus. Till you die or meet Jesus or Jesus comes again. Jesus is he's committed to doing that. He's committed to doing that in you. And what is he committed to doing? He's committed to perfecting you. you never be perfect. But he's committed to perfecting you. He's committed to making you more like him. And he's committed to making you complete, says some versions. But actually the word is better as whole. And that whole, if you've been around the Bible any time, means Shalom. It means wholeness. It means everything is joined together, that there's not this internal conflict, dispute. It means peace. It means that you're not wrestling with this. Why, God? But you're whole. The shalom. The storms, even though they're in the storms of life, you're still asleep, calm, peaceful. One of the things that... I'm going to, it's not in my notes, but here you go, Naz, you're going to be embarrassed. Um, one of the things when Naomi got her cancer diagnosis, she was just amazing. I mean, the kids were at home, and they, were, they, they knew where we were going, and uh, they're waiting for the phone call, and I went with Naomi, and they said, well, it's pretty fast growing, but... It's not gone very far. There's going to need to be surgery. There might be radio, chemo. You, you look then, don't you, at what's in a person. C.H. Spurgeon, I don't know if it's on a, on a slide. Don't look for it, Tom, if it's not. But C.H. Spurgeon says that uh, trials are like digging over the soil. You, you, you find out what's in a person. But Naomi, Naomi didn't melt down. She didn't even cry, did you? Did you cry a bit? A little bit. Yeah, she's not quite as stoic as I'm painting her. She did cry, but there was never this sense of despair or hopelessness or whatever. You know, you review in those moments, you review, is she going to die? 
As we went, we stopped and prayed as we were on our bikes, didn't we? Because you can't park your car in the NHS anyway. So we were on our bikes and, and we stopped and prayed, didn't we? And Naomi, I thought, I don't know what to pray. Naomi, you go first. She just prayed, God, I trust you. I trust that you love me. I trust that you've got me. Whatever happens, you're faithful. I was like, well, I'm crying then. We got home and I said to the kids, the kids were like, oh, what's it going to be like? And she's, we're fine. We're going to be okay. Now you could say, oh, it's easy for you to say that because she's okay now. But in that moment, we didn't know. Perseverance makes you perfect and whole. In other words, you, it, 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 Jesus is interested in you becoming the finished product, the completed work, having the wholeness and completeness of God's shalom. Since Naomi's cancer, you've been closer to God, eh? You've read your Bible more. Don't worry, that's not about ticking the box. It's just about getting close to Jesus. Remember, we're being with Jesus. You know, she just has. Jesus says, doesn't he, to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You think, Jesus, don't be ridiculous. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You think, ridiculous, that's never going to happen. But James says, no, God is committed to your perfecting and one, there's lots of, this is what this series is about, one of the ways he does it is through trials. This is gold. Facing trials with perseverance form us into the image of Jesus. Now, our natural instinct is to say, right, I need to find some resilience. I need to find my parenting needs to be like Naomi's parenting or my, my situation needs to be like Naomi's situation. I need to find this situation. There must be some resilience and perseverance out there that I can find. <sighs> but that's not how it works. Paul Tripp again on this passage says this. Now I can't work up unshakable joy in myself. I'll say that again. I cannot wake up or work up and shake unshakable joy in myself. You can't say I've got to look for the resi- inner resources. That's what the world's doing. I look for the inner resources to be resilient and pass through. The heart that is steadfast, that's the same word as Perseverance. The heart that is steadfast, that perseveres, is only ever the product of the operation of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that grace comes to me, and then he says, are you ready for this? In uncomfortable forms. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. God will take you where he hadn't intended uh, you hadn't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not produce on your own. When my dad died, I mean, I was 17, I felt the grace of God really come close to me. Now, I know sometimes when people face bereavement, they feel God is far, far away. But for me, I felt grace in that trial. I felt God came close And I think that that 
That's so important, whether you feel it or not, that actually to believe that God's grace comes super close to you in your suffering. We talked about that in the series that we did on Gentle and Lowly, that Jesus is drawn to the broken and the lost and the sufferer. He's not drawn to the people who don't need him. He's drawn to people like you and me who need him. If the loving God allows us to suffer, if his dear son walked the way of suffering, we must believe that God has a purpose beyond the avoidance of suffering in our lives. So I'm going to say this outrageously. Suffering can be a good thing. Suffering can be a good thing. Now I'm not saying like go into your room like you know the, the, the monk in the 15th century and start whipping yourself and say, right, I'm going to get some suffering in my life. Whip myself because I know that's a good thing. No, what we're saying, that stuff's going to come anyway. You don't need to whip yourself. That stuff's coming anyway. But actually it can be a good thing. Tim Keller again writes, suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It's, it, it, is not, it is not only the way that Christ became l- like and redeemed us, but it's one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means our suffering, dis- that means our suffering despite its painfulness, is always filled with purpose and usefulness. So I read that like... I've never read anything before, but that's sometimes how it, that's sometimes how it rolls, isn't it? Jerry Bridges, he's formed a navigator. He wrote a book called, um, uh, let's say, called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. He was born in 1929. I haven't got a picture of him. I should have. Uh, he was born in 1929 from a poor uh, farming family. He was born with severe disabilities. He was cross-eyed. He was deaf in the right ear. His right ear was not fully formed. His spine and breastbone had deformities, so he just couldn't hear. He stooped over. And given his family poverty, he couldn't, there was nothing he could do. He couldn't afford the medical care to relieve the challenges. You think, Jerry, where, where's your life going to go? It's going to go down and it's down and bitterness and cynicism. And, but actually, when he was a teenager, he gave his life to Jesus. And when he was in his 60s, he wrote this book, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And he said this, God never wastes pain. He always uses it to accomplish his purpose. This guy had every reason to let the circles get pushed apart, but no, the pain brought the circles together. God never wastes his pain. He always uses it to accomplish his purpose. Uh, 19th century Swiss poet and philosopher, you can tell I got this from another book because I don't read 19th century Swiss poets and philosophers. Henry Emile said this, You desire to know the art of living, my friend? It is contained in one phrase, make use of suffering. I want to give you three and we'll land in. Three quick ways that suffering helps us. First one, suffering must give us a true perspective on the world. Suffering is a wake-up call to the nature of the world. Suffering is a wake-up call to the nature of the world. C.S. Lewis famously put, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's interesting, wasn't it, when during the first swathes of the pandemic, that more and more people went, online to find church. People had never ever looked for church. People were like, it was like this wake-up call, what's going on? I need to find something. I need to realize that there's something more. When life is comfortable, we forget the eternal. We substitute 
for what is wasting away and transient. We take good things and make them ultimate. But when suffering comes, we realize all these things are so easy to be taken away. My, my house envy, my house extension, you know, I'm having my hallway done. and you know, how, how, you know, That's easy taken away. And, and that can be taken away. My job and my security, my position, and, and everything can be taken away. My family can be taken away. But God can never be taken away. When life is pain-free, we foolishly lose focus and chase after the momentary and the fleeting pleasures of stuff and sins. Stuff and sins. And we ignore what is truly valuable. In suffering, we become become aware of how shallow our priorities are. Just think, what, what have I chased after? When that letter comes through, when that diagnosis comes through, when that phone call happens, when that situation breaks, you can realize, cool, what am I standing on? We put our hope in things that can't fulfill us and can't save us. And it wakes us up to the world that's broken. Second, quickly, suffering transforms our view of ourselves. Humans have a massive tendency to live as if we're in control of everything, right? We act as if we're self-sufficient, if we don't need anyone. If, 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 all, if we've got the freedom to act we, can act, we can fix any problem. We can scale any obstacle. We can get it done. You know, if there's a challenge facing you, just muscle up and get it done. We, we don't, we're fine. We don't need anyone. And modern technology and medicine in the West has isolated us from the harsh reality of the sea of pain. And suffering makes us realize the world is broken beyond our ability to fix. It makes us realise we can't do it. We can't do it. You get stripped down and think, I can't do this. I can't gather myself together. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can't sing a happy song, think a positive thought. I can't do this. I can't do this. And our society thinks that's a horrible place to be. The Bible thinks that's a great place to be. And when storms and pains wash over us, only then do we abandon self-sufficiency and look to Jesus. I love this little uh, moment where Jesus is in the boat. I think it's up here. It says, a furious squall came up. That's a metaphor for suffering. And the waves broke over the boat so that they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. There's a bit of shalom there, isn't there? A little of wholeness and peace. He's not like, he's not like ah! The disciples, this would be us, woke him up and said to him, read it out. It's like, when you get to the end of yourself, then you don't don't say, Jesus, I need you. You say, Jesus, it's your fault. You don't care. It's just not true. Paul reflects on how suffering topples the idol, idol of our own power and self-sufficiency. In that long passage that I quoted about, uh, about all the things that went wrong and t- challenges, he says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Welcome to pain and suffering, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired of life itself. Everything was taken away. I cannot see a way out. I wish I was dead. 
Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. And then he says this, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We might not rely on ourselves. Suffering changes our view of ourselves. A couple more and I'm done. Suffering must turn our hearts to Jesus. You've got that. Sorry, I put it more nicely there, haven't I? Allow suffering to turn your heart to Jesus. I'm not trying to make light of suffering, but I think there's, there's a moment. Suffering loses our, loosens our love for this world. It demonstrates our fragility and our powerlessness so that our affections are turned to something greater. That great chapter on faith, Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith Moses chose to be mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to reward. All the treasures of Egypt, Jesus He makes that choice, doesn't he? And suffering can take us to that place. So let me just make a random comment and then we'll break bread. I I didn't really think this, I hadn't really thought this and it kind of dropped in almost at the end of of, of my prep. I'm going to say this stupid thing. I'm going to say, purposely embrace hardship. Purposely embrace hardship. I'm not saying, you know, throw yourself under the bus on the way home. You know, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there's something in us, and I, and I texted it to Steve, actually, didn't I? We were reading um, Trip, Paul Tripp, and I wrote this on my little thing to Steve. What I've realised that dying to self, crucifying the flesh, means purposely walking into places where I feel the need to rely on God by embracing hardship. Let me give you a couple. And you think, oh, I knew it was about this. It's not. When we give our money away, you can give your money away to this point and you can keep the comfy, yeah? Remember we talked about money and we said there needs to be a cross in our giving. In other words, we take our giving to a point where it costs us. And in that moment, God's discipling us. We can... We can, we, need, we can serve or we can dig into at serving or we can do work with people that are vulnerable or poor or we can even just serve in the, on Sunday even when you think, oh, that's annoying. God can use that to stretch you. He can use that discomfort that, ah, uh, got to get there early and ah. Uh. He can use that to, to actually mean that you rely on him. You can dig into community when it's inconvenient you know, we want the benefits of community without the effort. We can, we can make the effort to dig into conven- community even when it's inconvenient. And that can disciple us. You know, there's nothing more discipling than being with a load of idiots. You know, that's not my small group. It's obviously the one you went to because you were there. You know, and you can look around and say, oh, there's no one in this group I like. They're all kind of hard work. But you can see that. You think, oh, I don't want community. It's hassle. I just want something that serves me and helps my comfort and happiness. No. Step into it and God will deepen you. Love until you need filling with love so that we might not rely on ourselves but God. Let's finish here. This is the place to finish.
the picture of Jesus on the cross shouts loudest, God understands. God's been there. He's cried out, my God, my God, why? He's felt the crushing pain and the mocking and the disappointment. He's felt all his friends leave him. He's felt all the things that we have felt. But he's done it so that we could come close. The Bible provides more than logic and moral responses for human evil and physical disorder of suffering. The Bible invites us to approach our suffering God who's uniquely experienced suffering and pain. So we're going to do that. That's why breaking bread at the end today. Let me read two verses for you and we're done. I love these. Romans 8. This is Paul who'd been through some stuff by this time. We know that all... Th- we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Big blue circle. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Stuff's happened. But we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us everything? We're going to not be lacking anything, says Peter. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, Famine, nakedness, danger, sword. What's the answer? I'll say it again. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Are you allowed to speak? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Put your thing in there. No, no, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test of time, test, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to all who love us. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.